for me, um, I really embrace innovation. And I think in our industry a lot, we, we embrace uh, preservation, but I really wanted to focus on progress. Are you looking for a way to drive growth, sales, communication, and retention in your academy? Kovar System's six-month program director course is designed to help members of your team thrive in the important role of program director. With step-by-step -step training, we will cover a wide range of topics, including prospect follow-up, overcoming objection, and securing enrollments. Our program will teach your team members to effectively communicate the values and benefits of martial arts, which can be a game changer in securing more enrollments at your academy. Our next six-month course starts on this date. So don't wait and visit our site, www.kovarsystems.com, to get your team enrolled in the upcoming course. Again, that's www.kovarsystems.com. Enroll now and get ready to see some real results in your business. Welcome to the Satori Lifestyle Satori Masters Podcast, the ultimate resource for ambitious, hardworking school owners that want to get their business and their life to the next level. My name is Dave Kovar. I'm a lifetime martial artist, business owner, speaker, and author. My goal is to empower listeners with the knowledge and the tools they need to break through barriers and really get their business and their life to the next level. Thanks for watching and enjoy. Welcome to the Satori Lifestyle Podcast, Satori Masters, and I'm with my good friend, Michael Perella. How are you today, sir? Uh, Mr. Kovar, if I was any better, I'd be you. <laughs> well, I love it. So, hey, it's it's been a while, and I know you and I just talked uh, last week uh, briefly, and I, th I thought, is, 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 when I, as soon as I have another conversation, I go, I have to have Mr. Perella on my podcast. The guy is like a wealth of knowledge. He's really been an innovator in our business, in our business. and so thanks for being on the line. Well, thank you, sir. I look forward to being an innovator in other people's business. Well, <laughs> well hey, man, just to get started, just just a real quick, uh, I think most people in the industry, everybody knows you, but a little martial arts background. You know, when did you start? What did you do? Kind of what were your interests? What got you doing this professionally in the first place? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if it's a great story or not. Uh, I, I think I just got involved in martial arts because I was a tiny kid and I always got into fights. I was a terrible fighter. I lost like every fight, but I was <laughs> tenacious. And I, uh, but I did stand up for myself and that got me a lot of ass kickings as well. But um, so I, I was really uh, uh, very grounded in that way. Like I, I was stubborn and I, I didn't want to uh, back down to anything. So about 13, uh, parents wouldn't pay for it. Got a job working at Petland Discounts in Queens and took classes with, uh, uh, he's since passed, but a sensei named uh, Ronald Duncan, who, who taught Aikijitsu, uh, and I did that in a, a gun academy in 210th Street in Jamaica, Queens. Uh, I, I might have been the only, uh, and Jamaica, Queens was a, a, not a racially diverse area. I think I was the only okay. white uh, in the school. And uh, it was a neat experience. Uh, it really uh, gave me some insight into what martial arts is all about. A little, little later on, I started training in Chinese martial arts. Uh, eventually, I had a teacher who was Pretty well known from China. Didn't speak English. I was forced to learn Cantonese. Not like it was a cool thing. If you were stuck <laughs> 15, 15 years with a, a crotchety old man who didn't speak your language, you you really have no choice but to uh you know to learn something. So that was my my main experience in martial arts. I opened up my first school at 24, but I had the dream, Dave, at 13, man. That was my dream. Like okay. I solidified that in my mind that I was going to make that happen. And uh we opened up second floor of an office building with $7,000 of borrowed money. Uh, I sat out. I remember they, they put the signs on the window. My sign was uh, uh, six six vinyl letters and a hyphen that said Kung Fu. Okay. Put uh, <laughs> like an office building windows. I, I put neon colored paper behind it. 
and I was on a road that had about 50,000 cars a day. Okay. So uh, I thought it was high visibility, but I remember that night that they put the sign up a few days before I opened, which was July uh, 27, 1991. I sat outside on the curb across the street, man, for maybe, I don't know, from, from maybe 11 o'clock at night to like three in the morning. And I'm not even exaggerating. It was just like, it was a moment where it was like, wow, a, a realization I've had for 11 years has just come to fruition. And it was a, a it was an incredible moment that I personally I'll never forget. So it's so funny that you say that because uh, I started young as well. And, and I remember I had uh, when I got my yellow neon sign that said karate on it, North Highlands, California, second floor. Uh, it was right across from Gate 4 of McClellan Air Force Base. I remember I'd been in business for not long. And uh, uh, when I got to sign up and I remember driving across the street at night after classes and just sitting in the parking lot and thinking, that's my business. That's my sign. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so I, I can totally I identify with that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of your listeners are, uh, you know, had that same, that same experience, you know, so I think that was a powerful, maybe something I remember, you know, till the end, maybe you as well, sir. Yes, sir. No doubt. Well, so, hey, man, that's so fast forward, you know, you're running a school, you're, you're doing solid and you, and your ups and downs, of course. And then what got you into internet marketing? I mean, you were so far ahead of the curve in our industry, like we weren't doing anything like this. And all of a sudden I'm hearing you know, about this guy in New York that's doing these paid trials online. And, and it was like, it, nowadays, we don't think anything of it, but at the time it was, it was not done. So kind of bring us through that, 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 that whole process. What was that about? Yeah. So, so the frustration was, I mean, and, and yeah, I, I had multiple schools over the years. Sometimes I did good, sometimes not so good. Uh, you know, a lot of ups and downs, like you said, it was, and really what, what it wasn't was what it wasn't. It, it wasn't predictive. I, I you know, just didn't know how I was going to do from month to month because the thing I relied on to succeed was new members. And that was always an unpredictable experience, regardless of what I tried. You know, what you, what you try now may not work the next month, might work the month after. So there's all these cycles. And I bet you if we were to ask each other or, or hundreds of school owners, how many, mar how many marketing techniques they've used, they probably used hundreds. Right. But then, well, how did this one work? They're like, oh, it worked great. Well, why aren't you using it anymore? You know, and then it's like, oops, I don't know. Um, so that seemed to happen a lot. And I, I, I was victim of the same thing. I, lots of things work, but I, I lack consistency. So I had lots of websites with different companies and I, I'm not, I wasn't a tech person by nature, but um, some of these companies allowed you to, to connect uh, a backend, like a Microsoft front page, for instance, where I, I started learning how to code and write HTML and I could, I could edit my own website. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. I was really excited about it. But I was so frustrated, man, with just the, the lackluster results. I mean, one month I made a few grand from it, but uh, otherwise my website was more of an expense. It really didn't produce. And it was like, well, everyone just told me, well, you kind of have to have this to have a business. But I was like, man, there's just gotta be something more. And I started looking at the same time, this may be like 2006, 2007, I started reading about uh, what internet marketers were doing. And for those who, don't, uh, who really don't know the distinction, the initial internet marketers were people who sold information, you know, free free book on how to do blank or, you know, how to open up a business. And these guys were the first people to really monetize the internet. You know, while, while Amazon was still selling books, right, back in the day, yep. um, these guys were, were doing launches. They were selling products. And I remember this, you know, one product uh, launch happened and it was, uh, it was Frank Kern, who uh, I'm friends with, and uh, it was a company named Stompernet. And they did a, a, a launch with a bunch of affiliates. And they made 20 $22 million for the month. And it was that it was that four minute mile Roger Bannister moment where people were like, I didn't know that you could do this. I mean, we knew they could, you could have a side hustle and make a few bucks, but I mean, replacing an income or 
exceeding what you know expectations of what an income should be. So that was when like the, the whole thing opened up for me. And then I said, well, what do these guys do? Are these guys doing free trials or free class, free week, free month? And I was like, no, they were do using a lead magnet to uh, get their lead information, you know, name and email. And then after that, they were pitching them on a variety of offers. And I was like, hey, man, I wonder if that would work with martial arts. So I remember uh, I created my own website uh, on some uh, cheesy website builder, but I made an offer for kickboxing, which is one of the programs I had. And I, I uh, did test a few other deals afterwards, but my initial instinct was three classes, a free pair of gloves for $19.99. And the, the free pair of gloves is the risk reversal. Um, hey, do you remember, do you remember back in the day, um, Super Bowl ad? Okay, so 1998 to 1991, they ran this, and it was an ad for Sports Illustrated. They sold a magazine subscription, which we often saw on TV, where they highlight the um, the swimsuit edition. You remember right, that? Right. So the most powerful promotion for uh, magazine subscriptions at the time was this Super Bowl ad. It was a two-minute commercial. And for 17 seconds of the two-minute commercial, they sold the subscription. So you think, well, what did they do with the rest of the time for the commercial? Well, they sold a tripwire offer. They sold an item that would be the risk reversal, which would make people buy this site unseen. And it was a flip football phone. Interesting. So you had the small football phone you opened up. And the, the commercial is great, Dave. It's so cheesy. I mean, because there are people standing on the 50 yard line with a phone that you know there's no 300 foot wire that's going to a wall. And you're sitting there going, Mom, you're not going to believe this. I'm, yeah, I'm actually talking on a football. Huh. <laughs> a bunch of, uh, like, you know, many testimonials worked into the ad like that. And there was no focus on the product, 17 seconds on what they were selling, but the rest of the time was focused on this tripwire offer. So when I created the, uh, and I didn't create the idea of doing tripwire offers by any means. We always did like, you know, free uniform, things like that. But the free boxing gloves, I waited out and said, hey, listen, these boxing gloves are costing me $10, $12. If I get 20 bucks, I'm ahead of the game. But the perception for the customer was, this is a $45 value. It's 20 bucks for three classes. That's not bad, but oh, how can I go wrong here? $45 for a pair of gloves? I'm ahead of the game before I started. And that was the mentality of, uh, of getting people to convert online. Because a lot of people said to me, one, uh, this will never work. Uh, no one's going to buy before they show up. Um, and you're crazy if you're going to give away free gloves like that. Uh, all of which did not turn out to be uh, as crazy or as uh, wrong as, as people predicted. So that was the that was the, the initial, you know, uh, the impetus of how the whole thing started. Yeah, that was crazy. And then I, I remember it like, I, I don't know what the number is, but you sold nationally those first couple of years just alone. You sold like lots of gloves, I'm guessing. Well, I think the best month we ever had for gloves. Um, and I, I outsold Everlast, Ringside, all those companies combined. I mean, our, my best month for gloves was 37,000 pairs. Oh. Yeah. So, and imagine there's a $4.20 royalty on those. Wow. Wow. Yeah. It, it that's... was uh, it was pretty substantial and and that's definitely uh you know it was a different business model and because i was leveraging the volume of clients that we had uh even before we franchised uh when we were licensed that was uh you know substantial you make you make so my, my experience was i toiled and and tweaked everything so fine detail because if i could get a one percent increase in something whew, that was yeah. massive 
when those wow. with those numbers, that makes an incredibly big difference. So I remember, for instance, when I, I upsold the trial. So I said to uh, I said, why don't we offer two? Right. So as soon as you click on the one offer, then you were pitched the second offer. And the second offer was twenty dollars more, had a few more classes. Seventy percent of everyone took the twenty dollar offer. Wow. So that one move for me at the time, I think I calculated it was a little over a million dollars a year in just that one move that I had done. So, uh, yeah, I mean, exponentially, it, it, it was pretty exciting with all the, the numbers, but it really incentivized me to, to get granular and, and look at the fine details. So, you know, you've, you've learned so much and it contributed so much, and I'm sure there's been successes and failures along the way. So what, like, what have you learned from success and what in particular? I mean, I guess what you're sharing now would, would fall into that category, but is there something else that you think of, man, you know, that, that I, I nailed it, I got it right? Well, I, I really I really enjoyed the event that I, I had done uh, for several years. Um, I ran it for five years. I kind of warned people that there was an, uh, a beginning, a middle, and end, that I wasn't doing this indefinitely. And um, my goal was really to bring um, a lot of relationships I had and resources I had from outside the industry. Because for me, um, I really embrace innovation. And I think in our industry a lot, we, we embrace uh, preservation, but I really wanted to focus on progress. Uh, you know, preservation, we 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 hold on to the dogma of our martial art, you know, the the rules, traditions and systems that we've done. We've we've always done it a certain way, so to speak. And I, I really said, you know what? And I, I think I was always a little bit like that. I, I didn't want to copy martial arts schools. I mean, I, I got design ideas from my dentist's office uh, or, or, you know, this building or this store. So uh, I really think that uh, the goal of that event was to make something that was different. I wanted to make more of an owner's event. And I wanted to bring in, I mean, I had billionaires on the stage, uh, millionaires on the stage all the time. And they really brought a, a different uh, different type of uh, seasoning, so to speak, because I think as you would agree, it's it's not so much the the, the technique. It's more, you know, your, your mindset, the way you're thinking and embracing things that determines whether or not you're going to be successful with this stuff. Well, side note, you invited me several times and it never worked out on my calendar. I heard nothing but great things from people that did this and did. And, you know, your comment about uh, like preservation, I look at it like tradition is great, but being stuck in the past isn't. It's kind of like you got to look at stuff, right? And, and it does that serve us well? And, and uh, if, if not, I, th I think Stephen Covey said every traditional or significant breakthrough is a break with. You know, that at some point you got to go, all right, man, that may have been the way we did it, but but look further. So what about failures? What have you learned from failure? I would, I would have to say, I mean, I, I think people are aware of a lot of the successes I've had. Uh, I, I fail 80% of the time easily. So sometimes I fail where it doesn't even get off the paper. You know, it's the bad idea. Right, sometimes right. there's some execution. Um, I find out that, that um, you know, there's a, there's a discrepancy between, um, you know, the idea and, and the execution of the idea. I've seen great ideas poorly executed. I've seen poor ideas well executed. Uh, and we've seen that in our industry, you know, like how people call it the McDojo. You can have a bad product and make money. It's kind of hard, though, of, of uh, if, if you don't know how to make money, regardless of how good your product is, though, it's kind of hard to be successful in that respect. But I, I uh, you know, I, I tried a lot of things. I, I think uh, I've spread my, I've spread myself out way too thin, and certainly have gotten spanking spankings as a result of that. Took on things that were too big, um, but I think the way that I look at things now is, uh, and I, I made a post not too long ago. I don't really look at things as like a, a, a right or wrong or, or a failure or success. I look at things from a resource perspective. What resources am I expending, or what am I uh, what am I giving up in order to obtain this objective? whether it's time, whether it's money, whether it's people or a certain amount of 
research or experience necessary. Um, I think though, and and I've had a few uh, situations that really kicked my ass. I mean, uh, some some beatings. Um, I think that staying around very positive, keeping your circle really tight, and staying around positive people. I've isolated before, and I and I had some uh, uh, some legal issues that result. I, I had sold my franchise in the beginning of the pandemic, but I had some lingering legal uh, a couple legal issues that were that were just annoying me. And um, with COVID, you know, it was all about isolation. You know, I was in my home. Everyone was, you know, we were in New York, so we locked down for a long time. But I, I think that uh, a, a key component, and if I could do that again, I wouldn't have isolated. And I think sometimes what happens is when, when you don't have good news to share with anyone, you don't share anything. Mm-hmm. So I would say continue with connection. I, I'm not an addiction expert, but I know that the opposite of addiction is connection. Yep. Uh, so I think that... Um, uh, keep a good circle of people around you that are not sycophants that are going to tell you like how it really is. And, you know, um, I, I think the other side of the coin is make sure you're spending time with the people that, that have actually traversed these, uh, you know, these roads that have experienced these things before. You know, being kicked in the teeth is no fun, but I'll tell you what, it's like, I almost don't trust people until they've had some serious life experiences. You know what I'm saying? You look at some of the young hotshot who's like, like I think about our, our, our journey is that, you know, my brother and I, I opened up a school in, in uh, the late seventies. My brother joins me in the, in the late eighties and we're just killing it, man. You know, we just open up a school. Life is good. We continue on. And by the early two thousands, you know, we've got four locations. We own a bunch of property. Life is good. Everything is, you know, everything's worked for us. And I'm thinking I got this thing figured out. And then of course, then, uh, you know, I've discussed with you a bit, we attempt this national expansion and it fails miserably. And it takes me, my company, 15 years to kind of get back on track from that. But you know what? I wouldn't trade that for anything like like that. I think that wisdom is comes from experience remembered, you know? And up until prior to that, I, th- I thought I had it figured out. But, you know, you learn a lot from uh, uh, over-leveraging your, yourself and and uh, and having to deal with that. And I think adversity doesn't make the person, it reveals the person, you know? And I remember so many dark moments that, that I think what I learned going through like those real rough times. And by the time, by the way, when I'm doing this, the whole time I'm still helping people run martial arts schools and telling everybody, I know what, you know, follow me, I can help you. And then wondering if my ATM is going to work when I go to the grocery store. Right. But one of the things that, that I, that I learned through that experience is you can have the weight of the world on your shoulders, you know, ugh. but every now and then you just got to set it down and enjoy the sunset, you know, and spend time with your family. And, and uh, you know, I, I look back now and like when COVID hit us, I was totally, I mean, I didn't like it. And of course it was really bad for a lot of industries and the martial arts industry, of course, but you know, I knew we'd get through it. And had I not been through that prior experience, I don't know if I'd been as confident, you know? So it's kind of like all the stuff, all the storms that you've had to weather now make your opinion and your expertise that much more valuable because it's not grounded just on all these successes, but challenges along the way. Yeah, I think that, that uh, you know, at one point I would have valued the guy who never lost a game you know, and then you realize, hey, but, you know, the, the real war stories, the real uh, the things you're going to learn, the lessons you're going to learn from someone who's really, like you said, gotten their teeth kicked in. I mean, if I was if I had to go into battle, you know, what do you want to do? You get get an officer who came out of college. You know, I'm thinking of like right. a type movie. I want the the guy with a scarred face and <laughs> missing sure. teeth. I'm like this guy has been in the in the weeds. You know, that that's what I want. I mean, it's like uh, I, I read a quote. And I, I, I'll botch it. So I don't even want to say it. But it was something about like. Uh, you know, uh, 
something related to I, I value the guy who's who's you know essentially what we're saying like who got the crap kicked out of him several times because he's had to face some very dark moments and he's had to ask himself some questions and I know like for me man let me tell you I, I think you should fear the man who's had hundreds of conversations with himself <laughs> is that to sit there and really like you know face yourself and 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 everything about you and and uh i think if anything the isolation part for me made me forget who i was because you know your identity is a, a mix of many things your own yeah. perception but part of that is everyone else's perception and sometimes when i isolated i kind of forgot who i was you know and and i, I was like oh i am a badass what am i what am i even thinking why am i why am i second guessing myself and you know, once you experience these losses, you're like, okay, I lost. Now I'm not perfect. The seal is off. Now I'm a little more free to, uh, you know, uh, the higher you go on a pedestal, the, yep. the longer the fall. It's a, it's yep. a deep dive down. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's my thought on it too. You know, you know what I did is that uh, when I we were going through these challenging times, uh, I remember uh, you know just being at a really low moment and somehow battling through it. And I remember one night just feeling like, you know, I can I can handle this. I can get through. We're going to get through this. And at that moment, I wrote myself like an affirmation, and it was something that spoke to me because who can who can tell you what you need to hear better than you can. So, so kind of, cause I knew I would, you know, cause it's never like this, you know, along the way there's ups and downs and, 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 and whatnot. And, and, uh, so when I was feeling the very manic, I was like, man, I got this thing figured out. I wrote myself an affirmation and cause I knew I was going to wake up the next morning wondering what the heck was going on. And I'll tell you what, that was just super transformative for me because it, it allowed me to, uh, hear what I needed to hear. And somebody else could tell me something and maybe it made sense, but, but, you know, we, we, in our better moments, we know how we click. And it, and uh, it, that was like, I still use it. I still say it every day and it, it kind of grounds me and gets me back on track. Yeah. I, I think that, uh, you know, again, th those conversations you have with yourself are really key. And if you, if you don't have a set of affirma affirmations or, a, I don't know, rituals, mm -hmm. you know, I think that, that when you ever speak with successful people, there'll be a morning ritual an evening ritual and, and, the more you commit to those things, I, I think the the more predictable you'll make your you know your future. So, what are your some of your rituals that keep you kind of at your best? Well, I I sort of years ago, uh, you know, it's funny. I don't think I've ever shared this. Um, I I try uh, so I, I do a few things in the morning. I'm usually 20 minutes before I actually get out of bed. I'm kind of thinking about my day, and, okay. and um, I would have planned some stuff out the night before. But I I started doing something a couple of years ago that was really helpful for me. I I have a few dozen videos that um, uh, invoke an emotional response from me. Either it's like those super motivational, you know, Rocky, mm -hmm. I don't know, 17, I don't know which Rocky it was, where he's got that speech about no matter how hard you hit, right. you know. Um, and I also had a lot of things that made me laugh. And I found that waking up, getting out of bed with a smile on my face, mm -hmm. uh, I, I released endorphins. I, I, it just, I, it set the stage for a better day for me. So um, I'm, I'm the kind of person where if I don't distract myself, I can get focused on a thought and not go to sleep for hours because it's like, well, I can't get my brain to turn off. Mm -hmm. These are good things, I think, to, as like a pattern interrupt, yep. you know, so I'm not always about business. I, I got a chance to, uh, you know, cry about something, a, a heartfelt video or something that was funny or something that was that really got me out of bed, you know, and, and on fire. So those are the that's one thing I, I, I've been doing in the morning for the last couple of years that uh I think from an emotional state perspective, and especially during COVID when it was so, you know, uncertain, so much craziness, 
Um, this kind of helped me to uh, really start each day with a, you know, a, a positive feeling, if that makes sense. It's, it's funny. I was up at our, uh, my wife and I have a cabin by Lake Tahoe, right? And uh, we were up there this weekend to celebrate her birthday. And I was scrolling through my phone and I don't do as that, that much. And I'm just kind of guilt-free on my back patio, looking at my, the river going by. And, right. and I, I came across this video of Will Ferrell and who's the drummer from, uh, 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 from uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Scott uh, is his name, uh, but he's a lookalike, the Will Ferrell lookalike, and they do a drum off on on the Jimmy Fallon show. And I don't think you know their little discussion. They're they're four minutes before, and I don't think I've ever laughed so hard. And it's kind of like like I I thought, man, I got to do that more often. Like as a matter of fact, I I ought to after after what you just said, I might you know find that link and just put it on my phone and listen to it every morning because yeah, you know I just snickered even thinking about it. Yeah, I don't have any data that's, that proves, well, when I watch these things, this happens. But I know that I, I start the day and I just feel better. I'm often walking into the bathroom still laughing a little bit, you know, chuckling from something. Uh, matter of fact, on my list is the Will Ferrell video where uh, he speaks with, um, I don't know, I don't know what the relation is, the little girl. But uh, she pretends she's his landlord and she's two years old. And uh, if you haven't seen Will Ferrell and Landlord, uh, just... Yeah. I'm, I'm writing it down now. I can hardly wait. <laughs> he prepared to crack up. It's, it's hysterical, uh, hysterical. So I think he made a whole bunch of, uh, you know, um, uh, funny or die uh, on that channel or something that he owns. But uh, really, really uh, good stuff. He's a, he's a funny guy. Very cool. Okay. Other rituals throughout the day, like end of day, before you sit down to start your, your work day, other things that you do that you, you're mindful about that have made a difference for you? Uh, well, some of the things are I, I, I have some restrictions, so I will only allow myself to do certain things. I, I, if I first sit at the computer, I kind of just uh, browse around for a few minutes, but I am really careful not to go down those rabbit holes. So I find that if you don't pay attention, you're on Facebook or other social media and 20, 30 minutes goes by and you're like, oh, my God, I haven't done a single thing. So I kind of give myself uh, uh, I, I've got a uh, I work from home mostly. So I, I keep myself on a schedule as if I'm working somewhere. I've got a lunchtime schedule. I, I have uh, two really cute dogs. Uh, so they're taken out a few times a day and I schedule my time with them. But uh, uh, I make it a point to do a few things uh, throughout the day. One, uh, I, I commit to at least one hour of learning every day. Okay. And it's, it's, not, it's not specific. Um, right now, I'm spending probably a lot more time on, on AI. Okay. Um, but, I, but I spend an hour a day doing that. Uh, when I was in my uh, stages where I was like really growing my business and building, I worked these 16 hour days and I spent four to five hours of research and learning. And I, I want to do that faster than everybody else. Um, but I, I still like to do that. Uh, I don't know if it's if, if it's for everybody, but I, I really enjoy learning something every day. So that's that's uh, kind of a rule. I uh, I read. Uh, I don't know. Um, I. I, I want to tell you everyone I read a whole bunch of books, but I don't. Uh, what I read is a whole lot of summaries of books. Yep. Okay. That's fair though. So, you know, I gave myself permission. There was a day before kids where I was reading about a book a week, right? They're all business, personal development, everything. And then kids came and the cha things changed and I had to be a little more selective. And I remember if I opened a book up, even if I didn't like it, I'm 10 pages into it. I would, my discipline thing was I had this idea. I have to read the whole thing. So I wasted countless hours reading books that didn't speak to me out of principle. And so one of the things I do now is I give myself permission. If I pick up a book and it doesn't speak to me, then I, I close it down. And, and, and then also with the summaries, if like, I like the summary, then I'll often I'll, I'll actually get the whole book. But I've also found, I don't know, maybe if it's, as we age, we become, uh, 
you know, uh, what we are. Anyway, my emphasis now is trying to remember what I know. And what I mean by that is I've got like 10 books that I often find more value than recycling books that speak to me already. You know what I'm saying? Like a bunch of bedstand books that I can pick up that, that, uh, that I already, I've already found valuable in so many times. Oh, I love that book, but I, I couldn't tell you what was in it. Well, I try to remember what was in the, the, the really the core books for me. Yeah, I've been cheating uh, for sure. So I've been using AI to... Uh, summarize books for me and then uh, so instead of reading the 60 page cliff note type of summary which I I, I kind of have a whole ton of them in my phone that I would uh, listen to as audiobooks and I, I probably do more audio than I do reading um, but the summaries have been able yeah most books are 80% fluff and stories mm -hmm. and, and really 20% meat and potatoes so I found out that I could usually in uh, two or three pages I can get the whole gist of what the the book is about uh, I don't know if, how, how well I would do on a book report or a quiz but uh, for me, it's, you know, I'm able to extract some, some good information very quickly. I think that the, the key, a key thing that, that was always help, helpful for me, and I think more so even today, is uh, speed. Um, I'm, I'm willing to forego some things in the name of speed because yeah. I realize that money loves speed. And the way that the speed in which we're evolving, uh, if you wait, to, look at it this way, right? So some people are interested in AI. A lot of people in the industry, not interested yet. Same way when Facebook became big, uh, uh, not interested right now, or, or not interested in Instagram. And they're like the late adopters. Mm -hmm. I like to be an early adopter. If you even look at guys like Gary Vee, um, you know, he knew, hey, this platform is going to blow up. I'm going to invest my time in this platform. I remember when when NFTs came out, Gary Vee had within nine months, I think he, he researched it. I was watching a video and said he'd, he'd made $50 million in the first month. Incredible. Um, so I, I think that, I think the speed is important. If you're going to, if you're going to innovate, if you're going to uh, be ahead of the curve, uh, you've got to be fast. You know, it's interesting is that like my, I'm not a tech guy. I try to be, I try to spend time and it's just not where my head goes. But so I, I did, I, I do spend some time on chat GBT, right? And I had it write me a, a, a poem and I don't know where it came from out of the blue. It was old women in old cars, write me a poem about that or a song about it. And I was blown away by, by, by how, you know, how like witty the song was and how well written it was. It was, it was pretty remarkable. I need to spend more time there for sure. Yeah, it's, I, I see it as being, uh, uh, it might be one of the most significant developments in our lifetime. I see it being a an opportunity to uh, speed things up. Uh, I can do in a day with AI what normally took five employees to do around me. So I, I think from a productivity level, uh, off the charts, you know, uh, crazy. I think that... Um, and a lot of people are saying, oh, it's going to like, you know, you're going you're gonna to replace jobs and it's going to like disrupt these industries. I don't know if it's going to do that. I, I was reading that uh, when farming, when farming machinery became popular, farmers said the same yep. thing. They were like, well, this is going to disrupt everything. I'm not going to have to have an ox anymore and a, a hoe. Meanwhile, they had to have tractor sales, tractor service, you know, tractor training, uh, tractor repairs. So I think other industries wind up getting created. And I think that's what's happening with AI. You're, you're going to see a whole bunch of, uh, I mean, they're literally creating companies by the day. And these companies are selling it already without even a paid model. Just on subscribers alone, they're selling the technology for massive amounts of money.
Well, and you can you can decide you don't like AI or not, but it doesn't matter. It's here, and it's it, it, you may as well embrace it. Is your point right? I mean, like because you're whining about it. You know, I I painted for a few years uh, uh, when my school wasn't doing good enough. By during the day, I painted houses and apartments. And this old painter that that trained me had been a like a like a, a union painter for decades. And apparently, when rollers first came out, they were outlawed by the unions because <laughs> they were too fast. Yeah. And it's kind of like you can't slow progress down, right? And so obviously you can bitch and whine about it, but the the right the smart thing to do is what you're doing, and that is embracing it. So are give you, me are a of, of, Are you a fan of The Office? The TV of course, show? of course. When it was like Dwight against the machine, like you know, launched <laughs> the website, and that was really like it was like John Henry versus the, you know, the same same concept, man against the machine. Um, we don't have any chance of winning at this point, you know, so, so forget John Henry, forget Dwight, you know, and, and Jim, uh, AI is definitely the, the, the dominant factor here. So maybe that's a good segue into what advice would you give like a, a school owner it, just in two things in general, and then how could I make AI, uh, you know, work for my school better? And in general advice to someone that maybe just been in the business for a while and feels like they plateaued and they need, need to get next level. Well, I, I think, you know, uh, even if we go a little above that, I mean, I think that the future is really automation in the same way that, you know, there were probably schools that 10 years ago did not have a website yet. Mm -hmm. And we're like, ah, I don't need that. I get all my members from word of mouth or, or something. I'm in the community forever. Now everyone's like, oh my God, you have to have a website. So again, it takes a little while for everyone to catch up, but I, I think that the trick is really automation. And I think when you're using AI or using a myriad of great software programs, we've got great software programs in the industry and then there's others that are non-martial art related, but um, everything I'm looking at is saying everything that I could do uh, that I don't need a person for, everything that can be automated should be automated. And the argument will be, well, customers really want a certain type of experience. No, 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 they don't. Like, guess what? Nobody will. There's the same way, like, you know, uh, back in the old days, martial arts on their websites, they were giving away their school newsletter. And I was like, nobody wants your crappy newsletter. You know, that was an old method. And I think today... Nobody wants to talk to you on the phone. 15 years ago, I thought that texting was stupid. How, how am I going to do anything of value that I'm typing with my thumbs, you know, and it's not hooked up to a printer? That's That was my thought. And everyone was on a T-Mobile sidekick. Now, it's become the dominant source. Uh, I may have three or four phone calls a day, but I have 55 text message uh, conversations. So where is it going to be? So the generation of kids, hey, do you remember back in the day, you probably wouldn't hire somebody who had a tattoo or a piercing? I wouldn't have any employees. Right, right, right. But but back in the day, do you remember that? Like there yeah, was of a, course, of course. I don't want yeah. them to expose kids to those things. But guess what? All those kids grew up. They became parents. They got tattoos. They got piercings, mm -hmm. and now it became the norm. Now I almost look for people that had those qualities because t tattoos are badass, and you know people like piercings. So I, I think it's the same thing here. Um, this stuff is happening. If you are using analog technology and you are resisting digital, you're going to go the way of the dodo or whatever other extinct animal is, 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 is more relevant today. Uh, I think that you want to automate all your, your, okay, so look at it this way. The first step was we automated a trial. We automated a purchase. You know, we were getting opt-ins before. Now we got them to buy a trial. The next step is I'm, I'm, already, I'm already doing this. Uh, we're upgrading them to right to memberships right online. So in the trial checkout, we're saying, hey, Dave, thanks for buying the trial. But wait, here's an offer. 
uh, and we're creating a value stack. And a value stack, when you think of an infomercial, is like, but wait, Dave, if you order now, you'll get this and then this and this. But wait, there's more. So that's the value stack. You make a value stack appealing and you make a big discount off the first month. You can upgrade people right to a membership right online. Now, why are they doing that? Guess what? Because everybody else is doing it. If the other industries are doing it, you need to follow in lockstep because your customer is going to be conditioned to use technology a certain way. You don't want to resist or go against the grain. You're really looking at going with the wave. If your customer, like, here's an example. 1994, we start doing, uh, I remember I got trained by Rick Bell uh, with Larry Doak at EPA <laughs> on EFTs. Remember that? Yeah, of course. It was such a crazy system where it was like you had to you had to take the check from the person, you had to open the drawer, you had to close it, put the check in, close the drawer, then tell the person, "Hey, this is how we're going to make your payments every month. Your bank's going to pay our bank." And it was a whole spiel. And I remember once I I, I jumped a step and I started telling the lady how we were going to do it before she gave me the check. And as soon as she slid it over, she slid it right back and right, took it. Right. So why did that happen? Because you didn't pay anything that way. That was crazy sounding. Now, fast forward, guess what? I'm not choosing that insurance company. You know why? Oh, they don't allow me to pay online. That's how the mentality shifted over time. Oh, you're not going to make it convenient for me because I'm used to this. I'm used to everything working this way. Oh, you don't book classes? Everything else in my life I book classes for. I don't want to use your system because of that. So I think that's what that's what schools are going to experience if they resist the the, the patterned norms of society. Whatever we're used to using is what you have to do. If you resist, you're not going to be a standout. You're going to be a stand back. That's what's going to wind up happening to you. So I think that all process should be automated. Here's what I see in the future. You, you get an opt-in online. You sell a trial online. You sell an enrollment online. You upgrade to a BBC or whatever membership online. It's all going to happen, happen digitally. So I think that's the direction that everyone needs to go. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Yeah. I, I mean, it makes total sense. And I think when, when uh, one of the things that I, I think is going to make, because obviously I think the more things that go online, the more people are going to crave live in-person communication, which is, I, but I think we have the best of both worlds. We do everything we can uh, automated, but then when someone actually comes into our school and they develop a real relationship with an instructor, I think that's, what's going to keep us in my opinion, uh, 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 what I, I think it's going to make our services just as valuable as ever uh, the more people do things online. I, I agree. And I, I think until the day that Dave Kovar is popping into everyone's room in a hologram, you know, and showing up to every studio, I would write that one down because that's, yeah. that, that's plan. <laughs> uh, but uh, seriously, until that happens, yes, I think we're going to crave those relationships until we don't. And I don't know if that's going to be eventually where we are as a society where you don't see anybody and every, everything is virtual. It might be that way. It might not. I, I'm not a, right. a, a future kind of a person to be able to tell that. But I do know that if that's the direction that the world is going, that's the direction that I'm going to go. I'm not going to go. I have I enough stuff to stop me going against the grain. Good stuff. Well, hey, man, I want to be respectful of your time and our listeners' time. Any, any closing thoughts regarding uh, just – uh, in general, what would you tell you? This has been great, very informative. You know, I'm reminded about just how smart you are and how many uh, yeah, great thoughts you have. It, any closing thoughts for a school owner out there? Well, I, I think that, you know, it'd be important for really to, to embrace innovation and technology and, and, and embrace new technology. I think going back to what we said before, you know, what's the advice for someone who's wanting to get involved in AI or something else? 
I, I always learn that there's a, you know, it, it goes to like that picture we've always seen where it's a guy with a pickaxe and he's digging. And then right when he gives up, there's a whole bunch of diamonds that right. were like away. Uh, the learning curve gets easier. And, you know, even you say yourself, hey, I'm not a, I'm not a tech guy. Some of the most successful tech guys said the same thing at one point. And the reason why they're not is because, you, you know, you, you try tinkering with it and then very quickly, like, ah, you know, I'm frustrated or I lose interest. I, I lose interest. And I think I was that way when I started doing this. But as I had those breakthroughs and I um, uh, I started to learn, then it got easier and got faster. So those learning curves shorten up. I think it's, it's uh, so important for everyone. You can't run a business today and pretend like you don't know how to use a computer. And I, I've heard people go, ah, I'm not tech savvy. I've got this person who does that, this person who does that. And when you do all those things, I'm not suggesting you have to be an expert at it, but you you got to be kind of fluent a little bit in, in these technologies. So that if you do hire someone, you know whether or not they're doing a good job. Right. And by the way, I, I can actually navigate a little bit. It's kind of more that whenever I say that, I say that my default, because that gets me off the hook from something expecting me to, be able to do something. But what's interesting is pre-COVID, literally, I and, and Christian, uh, who's we're, we're laughing back and forth because he's been one of those guys. He's our young tech guy, grew up in the school, now is doing our, taught for us for years, and now is doing our videography. And anyway, but uh, a pre-COVID, something would go wrong with my computer. I'd just throw my hands up in the air and call somebody from the other room, and they'd come and fix it. And over COVID, guess what? I had to actually figure it out myself. So, I, by the way, I'm proud to say I'm a three-stripe orange belt in technology now. So I've moved up. Well, the good news, too, also is as I'm noticing from a, a UI or UX, like which is the user interface or user experience perspective, they're making everything so easy. I mean, they're making where you can connect programs um, through th programs like Zapier, where you can connect these things, have them talk to each other, and you don't need to be a coding expert or anything for that. So I think that pretty soon, uh, it's, it's going to be where technology, you know, like uh, put it this way, before Zoom, I, before the, uh, the lockdowns and COVID, uh, nobody knew how to use Zoom. Now uh, grandparents are video chatting with everybody. So just the circumstances will will kind of, you know, forge, uh, you know, coal, diamonds, that you know, pressure, that whole thing. Um, so that's what I, I see happening as well. Good deal. Well, hey, man, I appreciate your time and it's good getting caught up and I wish you the best of success going forward. And thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks, sir. I look forward to catching up in person and uh, see you real soon. Take care, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you for tuning in today to our podcast. I hope you found it valuable and inspirational. To stay connected, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you go for your podcasts. If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a five-star review. And we really, uh, sincerely, I would appreciate some feedback. Your feedback helps us to create high-quality content that will help others in the future. If you'd like to follow me, you can go to Dave Kovar on Facebook or Hanchi Dave Kovar on Instagram. Thank you so much for watching, and I'll see you on next episode.